Hey, friends, and welcome to episode 13 of It's About Time, a podcast about work, life, and balance. I'm your host, Anna Dearman Cornick, and in today's episode, I'm looking back on the last year of becoming a mom and how it's affected the way I manage my time and pretty much my whole approach to work, life, and balance. Some things have definitely changed in big ways, and others are pretty much the same. Some things I couldn't have predicted, and others were pretty much what I expected. All in all, it's been a transformational year, and I know this is only the beginning. So today, I'm sharing 12 truths, even if they're just personal truths, that I've learned in my first 12 months of motherhood. Three things that have changed, three things that have stayed the same, three things I've learned about myself, and three things I'm grateful for. If you're a mom, you might find yourself relating to some of the things I've experienced in the last year. It's amazing how both quickly and slowly time passes And those early days of the motherhood trenches sometimes feel light years away. If you're not a mom, maybe you hope to be one someday, or maybe you don't. I hope you'll still give this episode a listen. It might help you better understand some of what your friends and colleagues experience in their first year and can help you be more compassionate and helpful through such a major transition. Transitions can be tough on all of us. Whether you're welcoming a new baby into the family, changing jobs, moving cities, or getting a new puppy, (laughs) we're learning, we're growing, we're making mistakes and learning some more. And we can learn from each other and take bits and pieces and use what we learn in our own experiences. My hope with this episode is that there are bits and pieces of my story that you can take and apply in your own life or used to support others. Before I became a mom, I knew I wanted Camilla to have the right toys. And I don't mean the most popular, hottest toy on the top 10 lists. I wanted to make sure that she had developmentally appropriate toys to help her learn and grow. But I didn't know where to start. Then I found the Love Every Baby Play Kits. Love Every is a company that offers products and information which help create developmental experiences in the lives of new babies and families. Starting when she was a month old, Camilla received a box of adorable, developmentally appropriate toys made with sustainably sourced wood and organic cotton fabrics that are 100% baby safe. Now that she's hit the one year mark, she's switching over to their toddler play kits. I love this subscription because I know I'm giving her something educational and fun without having to do tons of research and buying a whole bunch of separate toys. Honestly, that takes a lot of time and can get really expensive. This way, she's getting quality educational toys delivered straight to our door. And there's always a little surprise inside for me too. Last month, there was a really cute little picture frame that's found a home on a shelf in my office. You can get $10 off your first Love Every purchase by visiting abouttimepodcast.com forward slash play kit. And you know, I'll include this link in the show notes. 
Speaking of show notes, I know you're probably making the most of your time and listening in the car while you're running errands or doing stuff around the house, and it might be a little inconvenient for you to stop what you're doing and take notes. Don't worry, I've got you covered. You can find all the details from this episode in the show notes. Each of my 12 truths plus links to any of the resources I've mentioned. Today's show notes can be found over at abouttimepodcast.com forward slash 13. I've also got you covered if you haven't had a chance to set your goals for the year ahead yet. If I'm going to be perfectly honest, I didn't sit down and chart out my goals for the year until January 20th, but I knew I had nothing to worry about because of my simple three-part system for getting it done and making things happen. If you're thinking, what's the point? January is almost over. Well, it's never too late to set goals and create your intention for the year. And if you want a partner in the process, I've created a 20-page workbook and coaching video that walks you through step by step. You can grab this totally free planning bundle to design your best year ever in the show notes or by heading straight to abouttimepodcast.com forward slash 2020 best year ever. The best year ever bundle is yours for free for the entire month of January. So make sure you grab it before it's gone. And if you haven't yet, I encourage you to click the subscribe button to be notified as soon as new episodes and surprise bonus episodes go live. If you like what you hear, I'd be so grateful for your review. Your reviews play a huge role in helping others find It's About Time in the search results. And you just might get a shout out in a future episode, like this one from Please User. (laughs) Please User was so kind to leave a five-star rating and review in iTunes for It's About Time. Please User writes, Just the pep talk I need. Oh my, where do I begin? About two minutes into episode one, I was writing down notes in a frenzy after multiple duh moments. Thank you, Anna, for the constant reminder that time is everything when it comes to running a profitable business. This podcast is liquid gold. Well, thank you so much for such a kind review. Liquid gold? That means the world. (laughs) I'm so glad that you found so many great takeaways in episode one, and I truly hope that you've enjoyed and learned from each of the following episodes as well. I appreciate you so much. And I'm so thankful to have you as a listener. All right, it's about time we get started. So let's get this show on the road. You're listening to It's About Time, a podcast about work, life, and balance. Around here, we believe that busy is not a badge of honor. Your host, Anna Dearman Cornick, is here to share tips and strategies to help you make the most of your time. Listen in on real conversations and success stories to find out how other go-getters are getting things done. If you're ready to step away from the overwhelm and spend your time on what matters most, then you're in the right place. Here's your host, time management coach, Anna Dearman Cornick. My little girl, Camilla, turned one on January 24th. And while I've got the birth certificate and the leftover cake from her flamingo-themed birthday party to prove it, it feels so unbelievable in a lot of ways. Also unbelievable, some of the things people said to me before she was born. 
For example, before I had Camilla, before I was pregnant even, I remember someone telling me that one day when I became a mom, everything would change. I wouldn't be so together anymore, and I'd fly by the seat of my pants, live day to day, and be a hot mess mom just like everyone else. This person said that she used to be super into planning and was really organized before she had kids, but everything changed for her, and no doubt it would change for me too. I gotta tell you, hearing that kind of future projected for me was pretty annoying. I couldn't help but think that things would be different that I had this time management thing pretty much under control and that being a mom wouldn't change my ability to get things done. But it also made me worried. What if she was right? What if everything really did change and I suddenly became completely overwhelmed and that overwhelm didn't go away and became a normal part of life? What if all of a sudden I wouldn't care about my business anymore or I wouldn't want to work? What if I wasn't good at being a mom? I'll tell you what comforted me the most whenever I had those fear-filled thoughts. And that was the examples that other go-getter moms had set for me. I was grateful for examples like Sky Fantasy, a successful New Orleans attorney who serves on multiple nonprofit boards and has two little ones. And Lauren Barbalich, my very first podcast guest back in episode two, was one of those examples, too. With her full-time job supporting the Louisiana Attorney General, her thriving wedding decor rental business, and her two at the time, now three, kiddos. I honestly wasn't sure what was going to happen or who I would be after Camilla was born. There was so much unknown. And now... A year into being a mom, it's easy to look back at the amazing growth that took place between then, the day Camilla was born, and now. Since this podcast is all about work, life, and balance, I thought it would be fun to pull back the curtain and candidly share what I've learned in the past year of being a mom. First of all, I can confirm that at the one-year mark, I am not a hot mess mom who lives day to day in a constant state of overwhelm. Yes, I might wash my hair less and rock a messy bun more often, which my stylist Courtney says is actually a really good move. But overall, I've learned that time passes at the same rate as it did before Camilla was born. So I'll start with what's changed. First off, Managing your time without a baby looks a lot different from managing your time with a baby. And managing your time with a newborn looks a lot different from managing your time with a one-year-old. They're constantly changing, growing, learning new things, and becoming more mobile. What they eat, how much, and when seems to change every few weeks. So I've learned that I have to be more flexible and nimble with how I schedule my time. As soon as we would get the hang of the three-month feeding and sleep schedule, it would change. This need to be nimble has had a positive effect in other parts of my life too. I find that while I still appreciate and love a beautiful time-blocked schedule, I'm so much better at rolling with the punches when things change. I know deep down that everything's gonna be fine and that because I have crystal clear priorities, the most important things rise to the top. Second, 
I've become a much more compassionate and selfless person. And I swear, this isn't me bragging or saying, listen to what a good person I've become. It's admitting that before becoming a mom, I didn't fully understand how caring for a newborn basically requires you to give up yourself for a period of time in order to care for this tiny new life. I'd never lived those first few weeks of being at home, being in pain, being exhausted, hosting guests who wanted to meet the baby, while having an identity crisis, feeling the guilt of not keeping the house clean, and also feeling guilty for wanting to work. Not to mention constantly questioning whether you're doing the right thing for your baby. It's a hard and isolating, but also beautiful time. A lot like an exhausted flower rocking a messy bun in yesterday's pajamas, pushing its way through the dirt in order to bloom. Now that I've been through it, I'm able to be so much more compassionate with other moms who are going through or who have gone through the same thing. There's nothing, no book, no YouTube video, no story from a friend that fully prepares you for becoming a parent. Third, my priorities shifted. And here's the interesting part. It's not like there was this monumental shift, like a mountain moving. It's not like one day I went from family being low on the totem pole to it being the ultimate most important thing. It was more like a small shift or a ripple. Like that song, like a small boat, on the ocean, setting big waves into motion. The small ripple of a priority shift turned into big waves that played out into making some pretty major decisions. For example, I completely restructured how and when I serve my time management clients, creating a win-win situation for both my clients and my family. Now, Instead of leaving my schedule open for coaching sessions anytime, any day of the week, I schedule all of my coaching sessions during the second and fourth weeks of the month. That creates consistency for my clients, and it keeps me in that coaching mindset for a whole week at a time, instead of scattered off and on throughout the month. And then during the first and third weeks of the month, I focus on writing and recording podcast episodes, creating workbooks, prepping for speeches, and I reserve those weeks for lunch and coffee meetups with friends. I'm also a lot more selective about what projects I'm willing to take on. And if something is taking up too much of my headspace or breeding too much negativity, instead of suffering through it like I might have in the past, I'll listen to my intuition and make a change if it's needed. One of the most devastating gut check moments I had in the last year came one evening during Camilla's bath time. I caught myself staring off into space, completely consumed with thoughts of a volunteer project I was working on at the time. I was playing back a conversation in my head, thinking about what I wish I'd said and rehearsing what I'd say next time. I was running through what still needed to be done and who I needed to check in with, thinking through timelines. And when I snapped myself out of it and came back to what was in front of me, eight-month-old Camilla, smiling and splashing in her whale tub, I knew that something had to change. Big time. 
Because that level of being preoccupied, especially with a volunteer project, was not okay with me. So I walked away and wished it well. Knowing that there will be other opportunities in the future, that will be a better fit. So while that's a sampling of what has changed in the past year, here are a few things that have definitely stayed the same. First of all, the number of hours in a day. Yeah, I've got a little girl now, but the same exact strategies I used to manage my time pre-baby, like time blocking, task batching, designing my ideal week and month and others, work the same exact way they did before. In fact, they're more important than ever because I have to make the most of work time during work time instead of letting my work energy and attention spill over into family time. Okay, y'all, so I know we could all probably use a little more time in our day, right? You're no stranger to busy schedules and intentionally filling them up to the brim because you just have so much to get done. But sometimes it feels like you don't really ever have the time to just slow down and enjoy the simple things. Simple things like when my toddlers are giggling and playing nicely together in the backyard, or when a Sunday afternoon nap sounds too good to pass up. We all want more time to enjoy these kinds of things, right? Well, if you love personality quizzes like I do, then you're in for a treat. In my new quiz, which you can take for free at AnnaDCornick.com forward slash quiz, I'm helping you uncover what it will take to get you from chaos to calm, to finally feel like you have space in your days. I know it can feel downright frustrating to keep using the same old time management strategies that just don't seem to work for you. You've got the planners, the calendars, apps, you're doing all the things, but you still feel like you have no time. And that's because you need time management strategies that work for your personality and your life. In my 10 plus years working in crisis communications and chaos management, and all the time I've spent with my clients, I've learned that everyone has their own needs. And knowing what those needs are can really help you discover the best approach to planning your days. Knowing yourself can help you ease up busy schedules, and find more calm and clarity in your week. Do you wanna know how to get there? To have more breathing room in your days? Let's figure out your time management personality type so you can uncover exactly what you need to do to feel more productive, less stressed, and more balanced. You can take the quiz at AnnaDCornick.com forward slash quiz, and I'll make sure to link to the quiz in our show notes. All right, on with the show. Something else that stayed the same? Routines and checklists are also more important than ever. And they let me get stuff done in autopilot while using minimal thought and decision-making energy. After we came home from the hospital, we started learning about baby schedules. Now, to each her own, but we found that having a schedule, we used Moms on Call as inspiration, was the best fit for our family. Having a routine, even when we didn't follow it to a T, just made life easier. One thing I found was that I could never remember to get everything ready for bath time, 
and would end up scrambling or yelling for Scott to grab something. So I literally typed up Camilla's bath time routine step by step, starting with turn on bathroom heater to let the room warm up, to lay out PJs, all the way to turn off the light. And I taped it up on the wall in her closet. In those early sleep scarce days, having that bath time routine posted up helped create a way of life that is now completely second nature. And after forgetting to pack key diaper bag items once or twice, that became a checklist too. And it also made communication between me and Scott so much easier. We were able to cut out that back and forth running out the door, hey, what do we need in the diaper bag? To just, hey, can you check the list and make sure everything's in there? Another thing that hasn't changed If I don't write something down, like immediately, it's gone forever. (laughs) Mom brain is totally real, but honestly, I've kind of always been this way. And chances are you are too, with or without kids. Our brains just aren't made to store stuff. David Allen, who created the Getting Things Done productivity system, says, your mind is for having ideas, not holding them. So I've had to become even more disciplined with how I'm capturing things from groceries we're out of to ideas for podcast episodes to upcoming birthday parties. But scribbling something down on a sticky note in my office and something else on a notepad in the kitchen and putting something else in the notes app in your phone isn't a strategy because then you end up having notes and things everywhere And you start to worry if you're missing something, which doesn't really help with that overwhelmed feeling. Everything I need to remember either goes directly into my calendar if it's a date, or it goes on my Trello board where I manage all of my projects and to-dos. That's it. All I can handle is two places, and it makes life easier knowing that everything I need to remember is out of my head and captured in Trello. And I can access Trello on my laptop, through an app on my phone, and I've even figured out how to have Siri and Alexa add stuff to Trello too. Oh, and I said I'd share three things that haven't changed, but here's a bonus. If you couldn't tell, my desire to work didn't go anywhere, and my drive to change lives by helping people live life a little easier didn't change either. In fact, in addition to several other things, I learned that after having Camilla, the why behind what I do grew even stronger. So here are three things I've learned. First, I learned that sometimes resting is the most productive thing that I can do. In the early days, I would literally write, take a nap in my planner because it was like tricking myself into resting. So I would follow through instead of trying to stay up and clean the kitchen. It's like Ron Burgundy in the teleprompter. If it's on the screen, he'll read it. If it's on the to-do list, I'll do it. New mom or not, our bodies need rest, and so do our minds. We need to recharge, and we actually need to spend some time daydreaming. And that specifically means time not looking at our phones. Although scrolling Instagram might feel like mindless resting, it's actually more mentally taxing than you'd think. To get science on you for a second, according to research, 
our minds are engaged in one or two different modes throughout the day. Wandering mode, which is basically daydreaming when we let our minds wander. This is what happens when you're in the shower and you come up with like 37 amazing ideas. (laughs) And the other is central executive mode, which is when we're focused on something like work and also when we're focused on something like scrolling Instagram. And don't get me wrong, I love Instagram. But you can't be in both modes at once. It's either one or the other. That wandering, daydreaming mode is prime time for new ideas and problem solving. And there's a whole lot of problem solving involved in your first year of being a mom. But we're spending less and less time in that mode because we default to looking at our phones, especially during those 4 a.m. feedings. I get it. Sometimes you just want to look at your phone. I'm with you. But I've definitely learned the benefits of putting it away and just letting my mind wander. Second, I learned that even on the days where I felt like I was getting zero things done, I was actually getting way more accomplished than I realized. Instead of making to-do lists, I started making ta-da lists or done lists. Basically, after I did something, I would write it down and check it off. It was a no-pressure way to keep track of what I was doing with my time, and it helped me in the day feeling accomplished. And on the subject of feeling accomplished, this brings me to the third big thing that I learned this past year. And for me, it's a big one. I learned that I place my personal value and worth in what I can accomplish and what I can do. That I measured the success of each day on how many things I crossed off a to-do list and I believed that I was only as good as what I could achieve. And thinking through that was a little jarring for me. Here's how I figured this out. After we brought Camilla home from the hospital, I sent my mom to Barnes & Noble to pick up one of those little sentence-a-day journals. I wasn't sure that I was going to be stellar at keeping up with the baby book. Newsflash, I've written like two things in Camilla's baby book, and that doesn't make me a bad mom. But I felt like I could handle a sentence a day, (laughs) and that it would be neat to look back on how I chose to remember the day as time passed. It's captured ups and downs and also the mundane middle ground. Sometimes entries are exciting, but they're mostly just a snapshot of everyday life. This little journal is now one of my most prized possessions. Like if our house was burning down, I'd run inside and grab the live painting from our wedding and this little book. And unedited and straight from the pages of my journal, here are a few entries. January 31st. Camilla is one week old, and she slept great last night. Every day gets a little easier. Met with a lactation consultant today and learned a lot. Did a little client work and caught up on emails. Need to do a better job of resting. February 15th. Great day. Camilla went to sleep after every feeding, and I felt like I accomplished some things. Started writing things down after I did them instead of making a to-do list. Was proof that I get done more than I realize. February 28th. 
Another tough day. So many diapers, so much crying. Told myself I'd have to be okay with getting little to nothing done today. Got nothing done. Trying so hard to focus on maternity leave. March 9th. Good day. Got a lot done around the house. Camilla napped well. We went on a neighborhood walk. Got my brows done. Feeling really confident. April 9th. Had some thoughts about giving up on my self-employment dreams and getting a real job. Mom reminded me that if I stay the course, I can build a business and watch Camilla grow. May 7th. Camilla has started making the sweetest little sounds. She's so much more smiley. I've been trying to get her to stick her tongue out. We went on a super long walk today to get out of the house. July 8th. Rough day. Forgot to pack bottles for Millie and had to drive back home in the middle of the day. Then got really sad and cried. August 15th. Great day. Got things done without feeling super stressed. Love days like this. Just really happy and feeling like I've gotten things under control. As you can tell, it's a roller coaster. Some days I felt on top of the world. Some days I questioned whether I had a maternal bone in my body. But what I started to notice is that in this little journal, where I'm supposed to capture the highlight of each day, my highlight very often had to do with how much I got done. Stringing together this pattern was quite an oh my gosh moment for me. Because I know deep down there's so much more to life than getting things done. That there's beauty in just being still, in just being, in relationships, in connection, and in just holding Millie and watching her breathe. And yet I was summing up my days as good or bad based on what I had accomplished. This realization took me back to a few years ago when I was between jobs for a few months and felt like I was spiraling into an identity crisis. I didn't know how to explain who I was without explaining what I did for work. But I also wasn't in that state of mind long enough to identify why I felt that way or to do something about it. Once I had a new title and new work to do, I just moved on to business as usual. So, yeah, 2019, my first year of motherhood, is the year that I learned that I define my worth based on what I'm able to check off of a to-do list. So for someone whose identity is in work, you might be able to imagine how difficult doing nothing besides, you know, taking care of a baby 24-7 was for me. If you're an Enneagram 3 listening, then I'll bet you're especially nodding your head right now because you know exactly what I'm talking about. In fact, Taking the Enneagram and reading The Road Back to You and The Path Between Us and learning more about life as an Enneagram 3 was huge for me. If you're not familiar with the Enneagram, it's a personality type. If you're not familiar with the Enneagram, it's a personality type system based on the idea that everyone emerges from childhood with one of nine different personality types based on a combination of nature and nurture. I'm a type 3 which is often called the performer or the achiever. 
and I'll be sure to link my favorite free Enneagram quiz plus these two books if you want to learn more. This realization and new understanding forced me to reevaluate how I see myself, my worth, my priorities, and to learn to appreciate just being rather than always doing. And that being present and loving and being loved by my family is more important than what I can check off the list. Don't get me wrong, I still love a good list and I make a top three and a task list every day, but my perspective has shifted. Now I know that my worth is not tied to my accomplishments, even though I have to remind myself of that every single day and work hard to keep myself in check. Okay, so truthfully, that was a really big share for me. So I'm gonna wrap up by sharing three things that I'm grateful for from these past 12 months. First, without question, I'm grateful for Millie herself, her good health, her safety, and every moment we've had with her. Every day has been a blessing, a lesson, and I'm so grateful that God gave her to us to take care of. I'm grateful that Anna, a few years ago, started making the move from a 24-7, always-on career in crisis communications and public affairs to a more flexible and fulfilling career as a coach. Every day that I'm able to help someone spend time on what matters while having time to enjoy my family is such a blessing. And finally, I'm incredibly grateful for the encouragement and love and advice and grace and hand-me-downs and hot meals from family and friends. This past year has been one of intense transition, learning, growth, and being shaped. I am not the same person I was a year ago, but at the same time, I'm still me. And honestly, I kind of feel like I can do anything now. You know, that's often what we learn whenever we go through a life-changing event. That we're strong, that we're capable and that we can handle anything life throws our way. So there you have it. My first year of motherhood. What's different? What stayed the same? What I've learned and what I'm thankful for. Maybe you can relate to some of it or maybe it's completely different from anything you've ever experienced. Either way, I hope that you can take something from it and use it in your life, whether you're a mom or you know a mom Or maybe you can apply some of it to an upcoming major transition in your life and be on the lookout for those lessons that are waiting for you right around the corner. I'd love to hear more about your experiences in motherhood or a major transition that you've walked through. So I invite you to head over to the It's About Time podcast community on Facebook and tell us about it. You can find it in the show notes or by going straight to abouttimepodcast.com forward slash community. As always, all of the details from today's episode can be found in the show notes, including links to the books I mentioned at abouttimepodcast.com forward slash 13. And while you're there, don't forget to download the best year ever bundle, including the 20 page goal setting workbook and coaching video. Before we go, let me tell you a little bit about next week's episode, episode 14, which actually took me on a field trip over to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Episode 14 features an interview with Alyssa Jenkins and Katie Caldwell, hosts of the Hustle Humbly podcast. 
Alyssa and Katie are two top producing realtors in the Baton Rouge market, but they work for two different companies and are actually each other's competitors. We talk about fostering community over competition and hear how they manage flexible schedules and serve their clients while balancing family life and professional development. This one's a lot of fun, and I know you're going to love it. All right, that's all for today. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to It's About Time, a podcast about work, life, and balance. Head over to www.abouttimepodcast.com to join the conversation. Check out the show notes and dive into bonus content so you can start living your best life today. Love this episode? Be sure to share it with a friend, subscribe, and leave a review. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you in the next episode.